0: Now, I'm going to continue with my study in the Sermon on the Mount this week. Uh, We're going to focus on Jesus speaking to us about living the righteous life. Living the righteous life. And this is found in Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Now, in this section of Scripture, you see, Jesus will give us a picture of a Christian living his life in this world, uh, in the presence of God, as God watches us and sees us and hears him, and we walk in full dependence upon God. Now, obviously, we are exiled in this world, but God watches us, he sees us. Uh, And so the great thing here is that what we have here is that while we live our life in this world uh, as an exile, we do it, you see, we do it in the veritable presence of God. And so effectively, what we have here is the example of the children of God on a pilgrimage of life, on a pilgrimage of life, as they wind their way to the end of their lives, always seeking the will of God. And so there are two great divisions in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus speaks to us about our responsibilities. One is a directly religious part uh, of the Christian life, and the other is a rather more mundane aspect of life, and we will get into both of those as we study Matthew chapter 6. There is no greater fallacy than to believe that once you become a Christian, you will face no obstacles, you will face no persecution, you will face no difficulty, uh, that all the problems of life will vanish, and you will walk as if you're on a red carpet. Well, that's not the way it is, and you know it's not the way it is, and so Jesus prepares us for all of us, and so he gives us detailed instructions, as you would you would understand, uh, for to, prepare us for the problems that we face and how to walk in this world as sons and and women of God. And so as you read the entire chapter of 6 of Matthew, it can be very uncomfortable to read because it holds us up to a mirror. And this is the essence of the Christian life. Jesus wants you to look into the mirror. He wants you to honestly see who you are Uh, and not to be fallacious in your understanding of who you are. Uh, The Christian should always be concerned, always, about knowing himself. And so here Jesus, in this chapter, is going to focus on the three aspects of the Christian life. He's going to talk about giving of our substance. He's going to talk about our prayer life. And he's going to talk about fasting. And this week we're going to focus on giving of our substance. And so if you would turn to Matthew 6... Verses 1 to 4, you can read along with me. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that giving may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you what powerful set of verses that is as Jesus tells us, how we are to live, how we are to walk, how we are to give, how we are to extend of our substance to those in need. And so we have this principle you see uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in juxtaposition to another principle that Jesus has given us, and so we begin to understand that there's a delicate balance that can only be brought uh, really to our mind through the Holy Spirit. And so the Christian life is always a matter of balance. And so while it, mere to be con- while it might appear to be contradictory, you see, it never is. And so here's what we read. At first we read that Jesus has told us, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And now Jesus is telling us that as we extend our work, our substance to those in need, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand does. Because your reward is in heaven. It's not to be rewarded by men. And so there appears to be a contradiction. But really, through the Holy Spirit, we understand that this is nothing more than a superficial contradiction. It's not a real contradiction. Uh, And so we are called to do both things as Christians. Both things. Uh, And at the same time, the Christian is to live in such a way Uh, that his life becomes emblematic of who Christ is. When they see you, and they see your life and how you live, they don't see you, they should see Jesus, knowing that only a life committed to Christ could work that way and can live that way. We don't draw attention to ourselves, we draw attention to him. Uh, And so we shouldn't segregate ourselves from the world, we should be out in the world, drawing the world to Jesus Christ. We're not looking for men's applause, not in any way, shape, or form. I'm not interested in having men tell me how great I am or what a good man I am. I'm interested in hearing that from Jesus. And so the second thing we must remember as we drill down in these verses is that we here in this world are always walking in the presence of God. All right, He sees our every action. He sees our every thought. And so you can deceive people, you understand, but you cannot deceive God. Uh, There is no better way of living a righteous life than to understand you walk in the presence of God. And think about that. If you understood that God is there with you, listening to you, watching you as you walk in this world, you would be very conscious of it. It would raise seriously your, your righteousness and your vision of the call that we have uh, to be sons and daughters of God. And so the next principle that we are reminded of here by Jesus is that we need to be mindful of the issue of spiritual rewards. Now, this is not preached that often in church, uh, but I like to remind our people of this that Jesus has promised us very clearly that when we walk this way, that we serve God in this way, that when we give in the way that he's telling us to give, that there will be spiritual rewards for us in heaven. The Lord continually makes those statements, as he did here, those found in verses 1 and 4 in this reading. And you see it here. As he said, if you, if you do not do your righteousness in secret, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, obviously, if you do it in secret, you will have a reward in, in heaven. Uh, and, and then he says again in verse 4, that as you give in secret, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we have that promise, you see. We have that promise that this is the nature of who we we serve. He will reward us. Now, we don't do it to be rewarded. You understand? We do it because we love Jesus. We love God. But as we love the Lord and serve the Lord and give in accordance with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit upon us, God sees that and God rewards you. And you will be rewarded. I want to promise you that. You will be rewarded. Uh, And he said it right there in the Beatitudes as well. He said that there, where blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There it is. Blessed are the pure in heart. The reward of being pure in heart is you will see God. And that's the ultimate reward. And so Hebrews 12, verse 2, is incisive uh, on this issue as it relates to Jesus. Because it says there, quote, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew what the ultimate reward was. He knew that God would use Jesus to save this world. He knew the joy that would come from that. And so all the persecution, all the suffering, uh, all of the indignity of being put on that cross, yet Jesus understood what his call was, scorning the shame, uh, and because he knew that he would eventually sit back at the right hand of God. Uh, and so... If you read Hebrews chapter 11 as well, and I call that the hall of fame, of faith, in in Hebrews chapter 11, all of the great patriarchs are listed there, all talked about their great faith. And at the end, the question is, well, why did they do that? How did these people live like that? Not really seeing a a, a physical vision of what was ahead. Why did they walk like that? And there's a verse there that says uh, they were, quote, longing for a better country, a heavenly one, you see? That's why we walk the way we do, because we know, we have a vision, we have an understanding. Our faith tells us, yes, there's a purpose to what we go through. Yes, we understand the issue of sanctification in this life and suffering and persecution, but we know that at the very portal of death, we will step from this world into the next and we will be glorified as we will be with Jesus We will see him as he is. You will be with your family who has preceded you. You will be with your friends. And yes, church, we will all be together. Let me assure you. And so, in light of these principles, you see, uh, Jesus is now telling us is that there's a right way and a wrong way of giving. Uh, The wrong way is to publicly announce it, to draw attention to yourselves. Uh, And in the picture that the Lord draws for us, uh, he he indicates that some people want to engage a trumpeter, a trumpeter to go ahead of them as they bring their gifts into this synagogue. Can you see this wonderful parade of hypocrisy? Look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at the amount of of money I'm giving. Uh, And so Jesus says, you'll get praise for doing that, but it'll be entirely from men You won't get anything from God for that. Jesus, nothing from God? Nothing? No, no. Because you did it in the way that I told you not to do it. It's not about you. You don't lift yourself up. You lift up God. And so we do it in secret. And so uh, Jesus goes further in terms of telling us what is the right way to act. He says, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Can you imagine that degree of secrecy that within your own body you're so secret about it that you're not letting your left hand knowing what the right hand is doing? Well, what does he mean by that? Effectively, you see, what he means by that is don't keep a spiritual ledger. Don't keep a spiritual account book. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm doing good. Look at this. Wow, this week I did this, 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 this. Next week I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my savings account in heaven is going to be awfully big. It's going to be big. (laughs) That's not how God wants you to do. Don't let that left hand know what the right hand is doing. Dismiss those acts of righteousness and goodness. You do it because you're serving God, and he's given you the substance to be able to do it. Look, it's not your substance, it's his. And so as you understand that and walk with him, we do it in secret. Uh, We don't keep a profit and loss account uh, in our life. Just forget about it. We do it because we love God. And that's the nature of who we are. Now the proof of all this, and this is amazing as I prepared this message and researched it, I came across uh, this interesting letter written by a Greek philosopher Uh, an Athenian philosopher named Aristides. And he wrote it in the year 124. So this is about 90 years or so after Jesus was crucified. And so he's writing to the emperor Hadrian, the Roman emperor Hadrian, and he's trying to explain who these Christians are. Who are these people? Because obviously it's come on the radar screen of the emperor. And you know that within 200 years of this, the emperor Constantine will become a Christian. He will become a Christian, but it's not at this point. And so here he delivers <clears throat> a defense of the Christian faith to the emperor Hadrian, in which he says the following. And I've pulled this right out of his writings. Quote, they do not commit adultery nor fornication. They do not bear false witness. They do not deny a deposit nor covet what is not theirs. They honor their father and mother. They do good to those who are their neighbors. They love one another. They rescue the orphan from him who does him violence. If they hear that any one of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. If there is among them a man that is poor or needy, And they have not an abundance of necessaries. They fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. Well, how about that? How about that? What an amazing statement to to say about the Christians. How they'd already changed the landscape of the Greek and Roman world. How no one had ever seen people like that, act like that before. Well, how does that happen? How do people who come out of a Roman and Greek pagan tradition, how do these people suddenly act like this? It's because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Once you let the Holy Spirit loose into your life and allow him to take control of your life, you see exactly what God does, how he changes you. And how when he changes you, the world is affected and the world will never be the same. I'm sure Hadrian sat there after he heard that and was stunned. How could any human being live like that? But this is how Jesus wants us to live. This is the very nature of the life we are called to on. This is why we do what we do in secret, yet our light shines to the world. It's because we do it in secret, that we don't seek self-satisfaction, that we're not narcissistic, but yet instead the world sees it. And they recognize that the only way you could live that way is that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And something very different has taken place with you. And so this kind of living is what Paul spoke about, you see, regarding the Philippian Christians. Um, and he said that the Philippian Christians were such an outstanding example to him of what the church should be and how to give. They continued to take care of Paul throughout his life, even as he was in prison. And so if you would turn to Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, you can follow with me as I read, Now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, and that's the Philippian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Notice that. Their extreme poverty welled up. Even though they were poor, it didn't matter. They were so touched by the love of God and the Holy Spirit that they wanted to give to the work of God. Uh, And so, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. This, you see, is what we call sacrificial giving. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They begged us to allow them to be part of what we were doing, to advance the kingdom of God. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any substance, but whatever they had, it was committed to serving God. You see, this is the nature of what God wants from us. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also. To us what an amazing picture that is when you read those words and reflect on what it means to be those kinds of committed Christians sacrificially giving sacrificially giving to advance the kingdom of God so here was a church here was a church that was composed entirely of those people who had previously known nothing more than the Greek and Roman world they were largely pagans They didn't have any background in this, yet now they were competing beyond their veritable ability to give for the resources to give to advance the kingdom of God. How does this happen? How does does, does a, a church change like this? It's when people are sold out to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so now they were competing to give of their resources to take care of Jews in various parts of the world that they didn't even know. They were advancing the kingdom of God throughout the world. What made that difference? Well, the answer is in the last phrase of what Paul wrote there, where he said, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and to asking for the will of God. You see, that's the nature of what it is. We're not answerable to man. We're not allowing our own philosophical issues to take uh, place in our heart. We're looking at Christ and we ask through the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you need me to help, Father? Let me, let me bow before your throne and do everything that you want. They, they, they gave, you see, because they had first given thanks to Jesus. It's when you truly understand what Jesus did for you, that you walk through this life understanding this. You could never have a trumpeter going before you. You would never do that because you know he saved you. It's not about you, it's about him. And so you bow before the throne of God, asking him to bless what you have and do what you want to do because it advances the kingdom of God. And so Paul's great principle here, and this is a good principle for us to remember, is that money spent on the body to clothe uh, or to feed or to house or to entertain while it has value for this life, you see, it has no value For the life beyond there's no lasting fruit on eternity and that's what you need to be mindful of money spent in obedience to the Lord in obedience to the Lord to spread the gospel and to meet the needs of those who are poor and suffering will have results not only in this life but in the life to come now now Paul spoke on this issue as well in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, I've spoken on this before, but I think it bears repeating. And he says there, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And let's understand what that means there. It means that when you do the work of God, in quiet submission, without seeking publicity, without seeking applause. That kind of work, effectively, is gold, silver, and costly stones. But instead, you see, when you don't do that kind of living, when you walk and look for the applause of men, when you're looking to get lifted up uh, and pointedly approved by men, well, what kind of work is that? Well, that's wood, hay, or straw. And so what does he say here? He says it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." And and so understand this point. What he's saying is you have to make your life in accord with what the Lord says. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But you still have a responsibility to walk with the Lord, to live as the Lord has instructed you. Yes, you're saved. But the rewards that will await you are predicated on how you walk with Jesus, on how you give with a heart filled with the love of Jesus, how you give quietly in submission to him, not seeking applause. And let me say something about you, church, how humbled I am to be your pastor and your leader and have to serve with you over the past number of years. I I am uh, recalling when a poor grandmother walked into our prior church uh, on a Sunday morning and she was presenting for a blessing her four grandchildren from the age of nine down to 18 months who she had just adopted. Uh, And immediately I was convicted. How can this be? A grandmother adopting kids from the age of nine down to 18 months? And the pastor there said, would your family that's with you stand up? And nobody stood up. And so I went home that night, uh, and I didn't sleep because I was convicted, you see. And this is what God does to us. And so the next day, I had called the church, and I said, well, what's the story here? And they told me the story, which was horrible, that uh, her son and daughter-in-law were murdered right there outside this very small mobile home, a 600-square-foot dilapidated home, uh, and their bodies were left in the driveway while the kids are inside this mobile home. For eight hours, as the bodies are laid outside, I said, "Well, what is what the church doing? Well, what can we do? What can we do? There's so many things that need to be done by so many people. What can we do? Well, I did it for me. You see, I knew that this is the call on my life uh, by God, and I knew that as the leader of the people, I had to step up. And so I step. I came to." the next Bible class, and I stood up and I said, look, I have been convicted of this situation. We're not looking for applause. We're not looking for publicity, but this issue has to be taken care of. We need to buy this woman a house. We need to get these kids into a home. We need to furnish this house, uh, and we need to do it quickly. And I want to tell you, and this is why I commend you and love you all, within a matter of three months, you raised all the money to pay that house off in full, to furnish that house in full, and to pull that grandmother and her children in that house, so that this day, five years later, they are serving God, those kids are doing great, and it's because you quietly, quietly obeyed the work of God and the call of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. And let me tell you something else. There were people that wanted me to talk to the newspapers. You see, the newspapers were interested in this story. But I rejected this. I didn't want to talk to the newspapers. It was not about lifting ourselves up. I was mindful of these verses. We walk in submission to God. God did it through us, but God did it. And that's the nature of how we walk And let me say this also, even my recent experience with you again, as I see your generosity and your love for the work of God, I saw what you did when we were close to getting our new church home. How in a matter of five weeks, this church raised $5 million, all right, in order to buy that church home. This is unheard of. Nobody who I came across speaking to other pastors ever heard of such a thing. It is because you people walk with Jesus Christ. You understand? And I want to assure you this, that even though we're going back to the high school, we're not going to stay at the high school forever. All right? This is our temporary home. We will continue to look for our permanent home. And so really what you see here is the essence of life. In this walk with Christ. This is a pilgrimage we're on. And as we walk day by day by day. It's as if we're carrying the cross. And the banner of Jesus Christ. What we are doing we do for him. We don't do for ourselves. We do it for him. But as we do it for him. He then blesses us. And so I want to assure you today. And lift you up to let you know that God loves you all. That he sees what you're doing. He sees your generosity. He sees your love towards the poor and suffering. He sees your love towards the work of God. And he is rewarding you, church. He is rewarding you. And so this is an important sermon to reflect on and to understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to walk with God, how we walk with him every step of our way. And so let us live whatever number of days that God gives us with this in mind. We walk, Jesus, with you. We serve Jesus with you. Whatever we have, Lord, whatever we have, it's yours. Direct our paths in everything that we do. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus I thank you for this message. I thank you for the words that you've given us, Lord. I'm inspired to be the pastor of such a wonderful group of people. And yet, even as we are, Lord, we know that we can do better, that we bow our heads and want to serve you in every aspect of our life. Lift us up, Father, and allow us to continue that. Protect us, inspire us, so that when we walk to the end of our life and we walk from this world to the next, you will embrace us. You will embrace us and say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen, church.